My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by our magazine. The first issue is in stock and shipping now, and anyone can use code PODCAST at checkout to take 15% off our first issue. Today, I am joined by the fantastic duo that is known as CWNT. CWNT started as and remains the two-person design practice of Sei Wei Wang and Taylor Levy. With backgrounds in architecture, film, and computer science, the duo met at NYU ITP, where they began their scale and medium agnostic approach to design. Their practice centers around an iterative process of sketching, prototyping, testing, writing code, machining parts, and building each addition to assess intuitions around improving everyday experiences. Projects range from devices that alter our perception of time, an electronics curriculum for artists, an astrological compass for space travelers, to objects engineered to last multiple generations. CWNT is the recipient of the 2022 National Design Award for Product Design from Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum, which is a really big deal. And they live and work in their Brooklyn-based studio and prototyping shop, along with their two young children, Poe and Tree. I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Seiwei and Taylor. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Seiwei and Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I start off every episode with the exact same question, which is, what is the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning? And since I have two people for the first time, I'm going to pose the same question to both of you. First thing I wake up. Uh... Mine's so boring. Yeah, go ahead. It's, what, are the kids up? What am I going to make them <laughs> eat for breakfast and lunch? Get out of bed. That's what uh, I think about. First thing I think about is what's my number? My, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Your HR, your heart rate yeah, variability Yeah, what's my number? heart rate variability number? And is it high enough for me to go swim? Because I don't want to, yeah, work out when I'm low. That's basically it. So you're big into the belief of HRV indicating your level of recovery as well as your ability to kind of continue training, right? Yeah, how hard I should push when I swim, basically. Cool. And, and Taylor with, with the kids, like, are your kids early risers? Like, do they like sleeping? Like is getting them out of bed in the morning, a, a struggle, a, a battle? How, how, what is it? What does it no, look like? It's all over the place, but it's pretty, yeah. Sometimes they show up in our bed. Sometimes they don't. Our older one tends to just like wake up early and read and leave us alone. Our younger one, when he's up, he's more of a late sleeper, but he'll, mm. he'll storm the troops. Yeah. And how old are you, the kids? Six and nine. Six and nine. Good numbers. Um, so when you bring the kids to school or bring the kids to some kind of gathering or meeting with their friends or you meet other people and they, some people always ask that terrible question, what do you do? I want you guys to each respond in how you answer that question, but kind of through a different lens. Um, so I would want, basically want you to describe the work that you do now to your eight-year-old selves. Oh, okay. Go oh, ahead. That's exciting. You go first. Oh, okay. Okay, dear eight-year-old version of me, um, what I do is I 
design stuff, design a bunch of stuff and try to make money by selling the stuff that I design. And on my free time, I design more stuff. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, I would say we're artists. We make stuff, we tell stories. We have a lot of control over our time. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. And what do you, what do your kids think you do? Uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think our kids think what we do is pretty cool. That's the sense I get from them, like the way they talk about us to their friends. Um, I don't know if they think it's cool enough that it's something they would want to do mm -hmm. when they get older. Um, but that's my hope. I hope they think it's that cool. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I li I'd like to believe, you know, I don't have kids, but I'd like to believe as someone who also lives and works the world of design, that, you know, design is a language you teach your kids and that they can use that in many different forms. And hopefully it's something that is for the good of society and not for the bad of society, right? Yes. Um, so, so to paint a picture for the audience of the type of products that you two work on, um, I want to dive deep kind of right away into um, the first product that I ever had experience with, which is Time Since Launch, which if... Um, I'll link it below for anyone wants to look at it, but basically I want to try to describe it in the best way. Actually, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let one of you describe it. How would you describe it to someone like you're on the playground talking to another parent? Like, what is this product? Time since launch is a single use launch clock. A lot of people use it to mark significant moments in time. So what this thing does actually is you pull the pin and it starts counting seconds, minutes, hours, and days all the way up to 1 million days, which is 2,738 years. This thing, yeah, a lot of people get it to commemorate special or significant life events, such as buying a new house, getting married, having a baby. We sort of are of the camp that, you know, having this thing to elevate just any arbitrary moment and making it significant for you giving it personal significance is is really important to us. Uh, yeah, it's a way of letting people own time um, and like label time in a way that previously wasn't really available on the epoch scale. Yeah, I, I think it's beautiful. And, and, and at one point, I don't think they're selling very well is that the craftsmanship that goes into this piece and every single other thing I've seen you, you guys make um, is phenomenal, right? It's it's something that you want to have out, that you want to show around, and it's also something you could, you know, hand to a two year old and not worry about them smashing it. At least in my in my view, right? I'm not saying out there like if you hand it to your two year old and they smash it, they're obviously not liable for that, or or me don't don't come don't come to me on Instagram asking me to replace it. Um, but there is a certain beauty of it. I mean, I mean, for mine, it was a it was a randomly arbitrary day but the important thing for me is that i wanted to sync it up on the exact time that i was born so it's always counting up total days alive so like i know the number of days i know how exact day how old i was when i started it so basically i have a running clock of how old i am days wise which is super weird and i'm super weird about numbers but but um, yeah so um 
but yeah, so so for for me, I have a couple friends getting married soon, and it's it's be, it's going to become like my go to wedding gift. But it's the one that I'm going to give before the wedding because if I if I was getting this gift and I got it after the wedding, I would be like, why didn't you give this to me so I could pull it like during yeah. the ceremony or like? Well, you should do the thing. I don't know if everybody does this, but mm. we have gifted it as wedding presents a couple times, and the way we do it is. We'll just launch it for them, so we mm. don't give it to them before. We just launch it for them at the wedding ceremony, and then after the wedding ceremony, we walk up. Oh, like, here's your thing, and they're like, "What is this thing? Why is it counting?" And then you tell them it's been this many minutes yeah. since. That for sure. Moment. Wow. Yeah, that must be that must be a pretty emotional moment for some people. Yeah, people freak out. Yeah, <laughs> it went over well. Yeah. We did it once, and it went over really well. Good. Yeah, now that's that gives me a great idea. So speaking of time and numbers, I, I feel like a lot of the products that you two design have a strong focus on either a set of numbers or uh, an importance of numbers and numerology and time. So like, I'm just curious, like, wh what is what is do you, do? I feel like both of you have like this almost predisposed obsession with like time and numbers. Am I am I onto something there or? Yeah, I'm interested in timekeeping. Um, not so much like the the time part. Like I'm not really. I'm interested in time and like questioning the existence of time, that stuff. But I think the stuff we make is more just about different ways of timekeeping. Because timekeeping, hmm. it's kind of amazing because it's a universal, practically universal language that. I don't know, like 99.999% of people on earth agree to. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also can be very, um, I don't know, you might say like oppressive, like it's a form of power over people. Totally. And so part of making these different kinds of different ways of understanding time or perspectives on time is to break that a little bit. So we're not like, tied directly to these time ways of using time that we're so used to using um so yeah that's that's i think where at least my interest comes in it's just like how do we break away from traditional methods of timekeeping but still time exists like things are ticking things are changing and but maybe we can also you know in our own way start a new way of thinking about time that's just not that's maybe not a hundred percent personal so it's not just like my own little world of understanding time but maybe it's a way we can share amongst a few people that are like-minded to be like hey let's think about time this other way so yeah that's where my interest comes in hmm. Taylor and dad I was just curious. I've never, nobody's ever asked us about numbers before. And I'm a little bit curious where you're coming from. What, like, what made you think about that? Um, so, so two, th I guess three things. So first off, Time Since Launch to me is a product that in order to make something that, that beautiful, that is completely revolving around a singular idea or a singular moment in time and space, someone needs to have a deep, belief in the power of time and the beauty in which like time creates and like the kind of objective truth of that. Right. And I think part two is that you guys had a product that launched 
recently on Kickstarter called the 556688. Okay. And those are are angel numbers to a lot of people. Um, If you're into numerology or anything like that. I'm personally not, but I know a lot of people that are. Yeah. So so I didn't know if those were meant anything kind of special to either of you. Um, And... uh, Huh. No, those numbers just happen to land themselves in the way that geometry works. So, you know, those don't add up to make a triangle, but in order to make that shape, uh, those were, those happen to be the right numbers to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the, for the audience, the, the 55, 66, 88, that's how, how you pronounce it, right? You don't call anything else. Yeah. Cool. It's this really cool, like almost triangular shaped object that's basically meant to hold a smartphone and three different angles of usage. That's, Mm -hmm. that's basically it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm surprised I would have done it before. Like it's one of those, I, I think a lot of the products that, that you two work on are things where it's like, this is so good. I don't know why I didn't think about this and like, <laughs> but not in like a jealous way and like a thank you. This is brilliant. I appreciate mm-hmm. your existence kind of way. You know, I feel like that about a lot of other products that are out there. I think that's how we operate. Like we, whenever we think of a product that we're like oh i really want this thing we do the search where it's like does this thing exist and sometimes it does and we're like oh great it exists we don't have to make it someone already made it side hmm. note though for 556688 oh yeah yeah it, we were not the first people to think of that no. we didn't realize okay. that yeah. when we made it but we were not hmm. yeah. did you get some angry emails <laughs> We got we got one um, not angry. She was actually really cool about it in the end. Um, but we ended up. She has a patent on this thing. She makes mm-hmm. a pillow that it's a long story. But we actually ended up licensing her design. So oh, cool. we were her pat her patent, not her design. Sorry. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes in the world of design and patents, sometimes it's a thing where because it's happened to me as well. If I if it's something that I miraculously happen to do someone else's like i'm happy to kind of buy into that system but i think at some point you have to draw a line saying like is this really the same thing or is this is this slightly you know over the line i think you know you don't you don't have to to keep talking about it obviously from a legal perspective (laughs) um but i quickly googled for those into numerology what the 55 66 88 each one is so uh 55 is positive like affirmations uh 66 is about growth and then 88 is powerful symbol of manifestation abundance success so all of them seem to kind of align oh, wow. towards like yeah so there you go yeah, i mean I'll take those. awesome yeah. yeah i mean it's a bit it's a bit woo woo i think it falls into the you know horoscope uh category of things where they're all written towards everyone but you know like i'm a big believer in whatever you want to believe and if it's, it means something to you then great but i'm sure that someone who's into numerology saw that product and was like, I want it because of this. Oh, right. That's so so yeah, interesting. they're the perfect angles to mm-hmm. make your FaceTime call have more positive vibes. Also as a, as a, uh, I think an, an, a cool, and I was thought about this when I was watching Oppenheimer last weekend, but if you guys ever want to make a limited edition version of time since launch with those, um, mixy tubes, you know, like the cool numbers oh, and yeah. those tubes that yeah. would be, it would have to have, you know, constant power, obviously, cause those things are super power hungry. Yeah. Um, or maybe some like big D cell batteries, but I think that would, <laughs> um, from a separate perspective. Um, cool. 
but speaking of, of, you know, you mentioned that there are other products that, you know, you feel like, wow, I, I, I wish I thought of this in a beautiful way. What, what are some examples of recent products that you both have used that you thought was just, you know, incredible in what they did? Hmm. Um, that is a good one. I don't know. There, I don't know if there are any recent ones, but like, uh, we keep a catalog of things that we like. They're called mm. the ones. That's the ones dot dot com, and there are a whole bunch of stuff on there that we think are really good and worth keeping around. Um, the one that comes to mind is the Mitsutoyo caliper. It's mm. so good, and it's pretty much standard issue now. If you go into any machine shop, that's what they have. If it's a good shop, yeah, I have one. So, <laughs> yeah, that's everywhere. We have the digital one. We have the analog dial caliper one, and the, the micrometer. You know, we have all, a lot of their stuff. Yeah, that stuff. I've tried to design a caliper and in attempting to do it, I'm like, no, I think they already did it. It's it's really good. I don't know if there's much to improve on it. Um, mm. So yeah, there's stuff like that that I think have stuck around and we use pretty much daily that I really appreciate. Yeah. Hmm. I think, so I'm just, I'm just looking briefly at the list and one of them on here is one I was going to mention myself, which is like Legos or something that I've always played Ooh, with and I yeah. think are like, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, what's a good example of a, of a toy that they played with? You know, my, my parents could have played with, I played with, yeah. and I think that like my great grandchildren would play with. And I was like, yeah. it's Lego. It's like, it's, it's, it's going to so be there. good. Yeah. It's just, so good. Just for that fact. Yeah. That it, could, <laughs> that it can withstand multiple generations of use and yep. interest. Mm -hmm. Like even as in a single generation, like, yeah, I played it as a kid. There's probably a lull in the middle where I was interested in other stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. now i'm super back into it because my kids are into yeah. it sure and like yeah i don't know of any other toy that can span that kind of time scale and i think lego is smart because not only are they they're moving in so many good directions i'm a big lego person myself i i grew up on the star wars legos because i was a big star wars fan mm -hmm. i love the idea of like making spacecraft and starships right yeah. um and it's actually interesting the the combination of other sets to make new space planes is what pushed me to eventually study the degree I ended up studying in aerospace mm. engineering. Um, so like I always push people, it's like you know unmatched creativity, but you're still limited in like a good kind of positive construct way. Right. Yeah. Um, but Lego is interesting because they're making more and more sets for adults, right? That are 18 yeah. plus, that are 8,000 pieces that are, yeah. you know, impossible for a six or nine year old to do by themselves. Yeah. Um, and it becomes like a whole family thing. And I think the other cool thing is they have the money to say, you know, they've already made a commitment, I think by 2035 to have all their bricks be like have right. a, I think like a 50 year biodegradable shelf life, mm -hmm. um, which I think is great because obviously yeah. plastic is no good um, yeah. for most things. Yeah. But, I, I guess kind of moving off that, like, have have you thought about making any kind of, I wouldn't say toy is the right word, but, but something that could be used by a vast number of people in different ages and subtypes of groups that would be used in like an entertainment kind of way? Mm -hmm. We've toyed around, or I've messed around with stuff, but nothing, nothing really sticks. Yeah. Yeah. We it's really, hard. we appreciate those things <laughs> yeah. a lot. Like, we play games with our family and like, you know, everything from pickup sticks. It's such a simple, beautiful game that 
you know there's something about the way the wood is just like a little bit wobbly and off that makes it what it is um, yeah we play rummy cube you know there's rummy so many classics yeah just yeah. cards mm -hmm. i would actually i really want to make a deck of cards because our son one of our kids is left-handed mm. and for some reason it's really difficult for him to fan the cards well it's a hard for him to the fan way. the cards you know you should just try it like yeah. try fanning the cards as if you're mm. a lefty and you don't see the numbers because they're all hidden in the top yeah, they're all in the top left corner as opposed to the yeah. top right corner hmm. and i don't know i would like to hmm. make a little deck of cards just as a gift for him house cards well <laughs> you should just make them both sided yeah you could do that yeah yeah i was i was thinking from like an accessibility standpoint that'd be cool because i'm sure there are other people that just can't even hold cards right yeah so that'd be interesting and, and it seems like you, you both ha take a very strong approach to this accessibility right to like this this product should be able to be used by as many people as possible um do, is is that is that belief um something that you know you think you've always had or something that you learned or something that you kind of built on along the way from someone you knew or a story or an experience or you know because that's not very common these days unfortunately it comes from i don't know if we're actually that good at it either um like we do think about it but it, it isn't our primary focus mm. you know we're not like an accessibility design studio but we do as much as we can yeah. and you know going back to like producing products or toys for mass appeal like one of the thing i think it's not really the design part that um, doesn't put us in that category. It's really more like from a manufacturing and marketing point of view. Like we, yeah. we're just not set up to market and manufacture at a scale that, yeah. you know, of like tens of thousands or millions. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of automatically puts us in this category where we're, we're when we're designing stuff, we're not thinking about mass consumption or like trying to appeal to as many people as possible we don't mm -hmm. we do want anybody who is interested in it to be able to use it but we're not trying to like cater to everybody's needs and wants and so i think that yeah we're you know we're it's weird like we're riding that line where we're, we make these i think pretty niche objects mm -hmm. um but as we're making the niche object we also want to make sure that yeah, if you're a lefty, there's a lefty version of like, mm. you know, if you we want, yeah, basically we don't want anyone who wants it to have, to not be able to use it for this reason or the other. Yeah, and I think also because a lot of the things we make are incredibly, not incredibly simple is kind of a bad way of describing them, but, you know, when you take, let's say, pen type C or key wrangler or salty or five five six six eight eight you know it's incredibly apparent when you're holding it how this thing is going to work and mm -hmm. how you know how it will work for you mm -hmm. so somebody will very clearly be able to see like oh that is going to work for me or that isn't going to work for me and you know they can pass it by if it's not going to work for them yeah the concept of no instructions required i think is, is strongly held within your design motif yeah we're very yeah. much into no instructions. Yeah, like there's some stuff 
we've worked on and they're working on now where it may require instruction and it's like how do we you know in my head it's like how do we avoid that but then even if we do have to provide instruction it's like we're going to put the instruction on the object like we're not going to yeah i don't want like a separate manual so that's mm -hmm. just like sounds terrible to me because also who yeah nobody reads them yeah no, no one reads them because there's always something kind of fun where the more I used to have this thing, especially in college, where I'd buy like a cheap piece of IKEA furniture because it's all I could afford, and also because I wanted the challenge of being able to build it without the instructions. Mm -hmm. um, and some and, and sometimes you you go through it, and for the there are some pieces of IKEA, just as an example, that are brilliantly designed, where like it's very very intuitive. Yeah. And there's some things that just make zero sense. That yeah. like un unless someone is literally going to drag my hand and pick up the right tool to do that, I would be like, I, I this makes no sense. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think that's kind of fun sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's going back to why Lego is so good. Is like the instruction set is built into the piece itself. Yep. And like it requires absolutely no instruction. You just, yeah, it only goes together in a few mm -hmm. ways and that's it. Yeah. And the cool thing about Legos is you can gift someone like one of your sons a set and they could build it following the instructions to make it look like, you know, the spider-man chase set or a star wars thing or avatar or it could be something you know brandless like the yeah. city city set but they could also just go and make something else yeah. right yeah. like there's there, there are no rules which is nice right. um but there are rules in terms of like you know you you can't stick two legos together like side to side because there's nothing that actually is going to hold them <laughs> together you know yeah. and and there is something beautiful about the way they basically work with these super tight tolerances using the material properties, the plastics they specifically chose that are able to stick together in the right way and continually do that over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. No, like yeah. Lego is, uh, I think some people see it and they just over and they just be like, Oh, it's just easy. But then when you actually start looking into it and think about the, the quality and the perfection, I, I went to the Lego, um, house in, in Denmark and oh, just, cool. they have, they have one of the, they have one of their machines that makes the bricks mm -hmm. fully exposed. You can like walk by it and see each part. And it's far more complex than uh, than yeah. you could ever imagine, which which is awesome, right? Yeah. It's um, so cool. Yeah. Do you have any current design inspirations? Um, they could be designers, they could be companies, they could be specific products. And I'm curious to know, like, not only who they are or what they are now, but how it's kind of shifted throughout your uh, time as designers, maybe from design school. Because I know you guys met in design school at NYU, right? All the way mm -hmm. up until now and it's a big question but yeah it stayed really consistent i would say from the moment we started our studio we kind of pinpointed teenage engineering as mm. like our favorite but that was you know 13 years ago it was at the very very beginning and we really liked what they were doing back then and it's mm. continued to this day like yeah i'm still yeah we're I'm still, still really very impressed by what they do yeah yeah i first yeah. came across them when they did the absolute vodka campaign mm. uh, i think it's 2008 or 9 around there and i was like this is cool you know they still hadn't made op1 at that point what was very experimental yeah doing weird stuff it was like this weird stuff is cool yeah and then yeah. they came out with pocket operators 
Yeah, I recently saw a thing. Yeah, I was thinking about this. We're designing a camera right now, so it involves oh, cool. some heavy electronics. And I saw someone on Twitter posted an opened up OP1. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool is when you open up the OP1 on the flex cable on one of, you know, there's like a, this long flex cable connecting one board to another board. Mm-hmm. On the flex, it says, if you can see this text, you've voided your warranty, like in big letters. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, they, you know, they think, you know, they think they about think everything. Ahead. Yeah. It's like, how many people are going to see that? And yeah, they put an effort into that part. And I really not, appreciate stuff like that. Not few. Um, and it's interesting, teen engineering is such a fascinating example because they're binary in the fact that people either know what they are and, and like, and like exa- mm. know exactly what they get into or have never heard about it and, and <laughs> think because the name, it's like something kind of playful and silly and not that serious. But, you know, as someone like me who has this podcast, I've been, I'm always looking at ways to, if I could have my entire like travel life, my entire setup in like a backpack in terms of clothes, in terms of what my, the cameras I carry and the microphones I carry and their recent product, the, I'm looking it up now, um, the CM15 field recorder, this idea of having this like awesome, beautiful, some part analog, some part digital microphone that has like XLR out and USB-C out and headphone out. And basically like, instead of carrying around this massive sure mic I'm talking into with a tripod, I could just have this beautiful thing that's going to sound probably awesome. Yeah. Um, That's that's the goal, right? I love how they're, I don't know if they're doing this on purpose, but I like that some of their designs are, uh, in my head at least, the way I read it is like bordering into like spy tech wear, Mm. you know, like even like the aluminum finish and like stuff like that. It's like, you know, edging into that zone and I love it. I'm like, this is cool. Yeah, it's like spy tech gear (laughs) for everybody. It's like James Bond stuff, but everybody gets to have it. But it's also made in a way that, you know, if you have an OP1 and you bought it when it first came out, I'm sure it's still working perfectly fine. And if yeah. it broke, they fixed it or they sent you the part to replace it yourself, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of that, right? Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I have a, or I had an original OP1, which I then sold. And then I missed it so much that I bought the new one, hmm. which is also, yeah, it's still amazing. It's really, really amazing piece of hardware. I think Teen Engineering... I'm also reminded of their kind of aesthetic and approach with the nothing brand um, oh, yeah. that w- it came from, I forget which was it the old one plus CEO or one of the, one of the big, yeah. was it one plus? I forget who it was, but, but basically there's the nothing phone. There's the headphones. Um, I, I haven't honestly haven't played with them yet. Um, but that I get that same kind of vibe where it's like this, this idea phones is such a hard category though, because yeah because of the this, this software problem with phones, it's like most modern designers and people in America at least use iOS, but right. you're, and you're stuck using Apple hardware. I'm, I have nothing wrong with Apple hardware for the most part, but it'd be cool if like a teenage engineering could make like their version of an iPhone right. and put iOS on it. Cause it'd be, yeah. I mean, it'd be $6,000, but right. it would also be like interesting to see what their version of a, here's an iPhone, that is 10 years future-proof, it can last 10 years, um, and runs iOS flawlessly. Like that would be fascinating, you know, to me. Um, Are there any other companies in that orbit of teen engineering in your head that that you guys really look up to or? or... Mm -hmm. Who else is there? Or maybe old school designers? 
you know, like a Nelson, <laughs> like like a Nelson Eames kind of, you know. You guys, yeah. are you guys influenced by furniture at all? Yeah, we make furniture. We have a mm. bunch of furniture that we've made, but we've never sold because that's a mm. world where we don't know very well. Mm. Um, yeah, I think from the furniture world, John Prouvé mm. is a big influence for me. Um, yeah, you could see it. Probably if you, oh, here's, I mean, you could see it. People on the podcast won't see it, but the school, <laughs> awesome. oh, the yeah. school that we've made. You know, that's beautiful. <laughs> but why why won't you sell that of curiosity? Uh, it's hard to hard. sell furniture. Yeah. You know, I think yeah, it's I guess that's a bad answer. It's hard as not to <laughs> it is furniture hard to is big. Yeah, it takes so up space. We we work mm -hmm. out of a small studio, it takes up a lot of space, it requires a lot of I guess it's mainly just space and it's yeah, hard space to ship. And upfront costs and yeah. you know it's not yeah. a market that we're confident that you know we don't know how to predict that market like other products mm. we have a pretty good handle of how much we're going to be able to sell mm. furniture we've never done it so we don't know how many even you know how many they even make you know we don't want to make like 10 years worth and just like have it sit mm. around and have it sit around yeah so someday mm. once maybe i don't know <laughs> maybe we'll magically sell sell some i don't know yeah i mean i think it'd be cool at first to even start and have like almost like a bespoke because there are so many cool furniture companies that exist now that i I'll, I'll try to link them all below that i found that are just they're exorbitantly expensive but when you compare it to like a dwr restoration hardware little furniture it's around the same cost and this stuff is insanely cooler and insanely higher quality um, because it's like you order it and they're like, cool, let it, we're gonna go buy the wood now and build it for you and then yeah. send it yeah. to you. Right. Cause we have enough room to make like four things at once. Yeah. Right. Um, I think there is a market for that. And I think it'd be, I think it would be fascinating to see, um, a, a good, a good reference at this point is, uh, so how I discovered your products was through a, a two friends, Eddie and Calvin who run Walden. Oh, um, and, yeah, and that's yeah. how we, and that's how we met for the first time at, at their right. launch event at fight, which is a brand that I had been working with for. I think close to 10 years now. Oh. Um, and so it's a really small world that like, you know, once everyone kind of knows each other and there's yeah. this like, I think a, the, the semblance between, you know, what Walden does, what you do, what fight does is that you all take very different approaches when it comes to manufacturing and sourcing and almost positioning. But at the end of the day, they're all, they're all products made to improve and supplant and almost like enable a better everyday life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a really kind of noble, beautiful future and vision in that. So I, I'm really curious and I want to start diving into the weeds here. So going back to time since launch, when you are, I, I, I want you to kind of walk me through the process. I don't want you to share any like trade secrets or anything that you guys do that's kind of special to you two, but just as someone curious, like from idea inception all the way up to, you know, prototyping and design and layout to like how you go about making those. And I'm curious to know, like, you know, those final the final versions i'm holding like how much of that is is stuff that you're doing yourself versus how much of it is stuff that you're you know outsourcing and assembling yourself or et cetera et cetera yeah um so time since launch you want to unplug that you're good uh time since launch actually it started what year was it like 2013 mm -hmm. um it was one of seway's thesis projects when we were at mit 
Um, and, you know, at that point, I think Seiwei, and this is kind of how it goes for most of our projects, we prototype things, either electronics or, you know, modeling, machining, 3D printing, the actual thing, enough to get a proof of concept or some, you know, we get it to the point where it, we have a functioning thing. But for something like Time Since Launch, and a lot of people don't realize this about the product, like we see a lot of people who see it for the first time, especially on Instagram or on Facebook, and they'll be like, what is this like piece of crap $420 stopwatch? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the work that actually goes into this thing to make it what it is and to perform at the level that it need that for us it needed to be in order to release it as a product into the world is virtually invisible to anybody who's using it. But, you know, we may, we weren't, and our engineering chops aren't that good to even, like we knew that, you know, back in 2013, we had this thing that sure we could probably have launched, but it wouldn't have lasted for 150 years on two AA batteries. It wouldn't have had the incredibly low power consumption. It wouldn't have had the accuracy that it has. So, you know, to create a timepiece that stands on its own independent of outside infrastructure is actually, you know, it's a not a incredibly hard engineering problem, but to get it to be as good as we needed it to be for this product, we we need help for that. Um, so Time Since Launch actually, after we it was first conceived of back in 2013, sat on a shelf for I'd say like three years. Three, four yeah, years. Three, four years. And really because, you know, we wanted to do this thing. We wanted to make it a product, a story that people could have in their lives, but we had no idea how to make it good enough. You know, there was no way we were going to sell in a million day launch clock that you needed to change the battery every year and a half. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and so with Time Since Launch and with some of our other electronics projects, we have a really good friend who, his name is Josh Levine. And he has helped us get that product um, to the point where, you know, every single little bit of the software that he's written for it and the electronic sourcing parts um, mm -hmm. are tuned to make it exactly how it needs to be or as good as it can possibly be. It's just to put it in perspective, the power consumption that Josh was able to drop this to. And it really is just power consumption. Like accuracy is actually not that hard. It's just a source yeah, of real-time chip. chip that's that good. Mm -hmm. But the to the level of, yeah, this thing consumes so little power yeah. that uh, depending on how much humidity is on it, it's going to change how much power it consumes. So, you know, one thing you can do, I don't suggest anyone should do this that has one, but you, know, you can take the batteries out and they'll still keep running because it has backup capacitors running on it. But the amount of time that those backup capacitors could keep the clock running depends on the humidity. So you can just like breathe on it and it'll last, you know, consume more or less power. You know, that we're, we're talking about, uh, yeah, less than a microamp worth yeah. of power that's like fluctuating because you're breathing on it. And so, yeah, that's the level of power consumption it's running at, which is not easy. It's like, you know, the LCD consumes very little power. Mm -hmm. uh, and this thing, you know, <laughs> Josh is such a crazy... The way displays numbers yeah. also is written in a specific way that consumes incredibly low power. Right. It's um, like, yeah, we're, we're slicing, 
less than a microamp <laughs> off here and there just to like get it as low as possible just just for the sake of it you know because really yeah. you know if you think about it in reality these are electronic parts lcds generally are rated to run for 50 years mm-hmm. but we know they can last longer but the manufacturer is not gonna you know warrant your lcd for more than 50 years so, but the you know something in electronics is probably gonna die in maybe 100 years, 150 years, like something mm-hmm. will probably break before the batteries go out. Like that's how yep. low power this thing is. And so, yeah, slicing off a few half a microamp here and there isn't going to really do anything in terms of the product life. But we do it anyways, because it's partly an exercise in like seeing how low we can get power consumption to be. And then maybe in the future, yeah. We'll see. You know, we have we have one. We have the first production time since launch running in our kitchen. It's actually a, it's about to hit two thousand days. I think it's at one thousand nine hundred ninety-eight. That's cool. Um, and so yeah, you know, we'll find out first when yeah. how long these things actually last. Hmm. And that one was one that I'm guessing probably isn't as power efficient as the ones you're selling now, right? From yeah, this was like a forty-year. Uh, yeah, so we'll probably have to change the batteries in about 40 years in this one. Oh, no, that's, that's too soon. Well, <laughs> I, I, was, I was trying to think about, like, how many products I know of that run off AA batteries that are designed to last longer than, like, the same amount of time that the AA batteries existed. Because what, what the AA batteries launched by uh, one of those, like, original power associations um, in, like, what, 1907? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the way I think about it is that you guys are designing a product that's meant to, to basically like, who even knows what will be on? It will probably be on, right. you know, supercapacitors and, and, and other yeah. different types of energy storage systems. And, you know, we'll have to, you know, I hope, I think it'd be really cool if uh, it was like a marketing thing. You you both like buried a perfect time capsule of like double A batteries for like 150 <laughs> yeah. years in the future so that people yeah. can like, you know, you, you, by buying this clock, you get, you get two batteries in this time capsule buried right. in a secret location <laughs> yeah. that'll be unveiled by, yeah. you know, satellite drop in 148 <laughs> years. I know I think that'd be cool. Right. Cause, cause yeah, I, I don't, I, like I don't know. That. It's just like, I'd like to think that this, you know, a couple of these are things that people will, will, will put in time capsules. will mm-hmm. will pass on to different generations. will you know, be something that is, incredibly you know cherished right yeah. um and it'll be interesting to see how, kind of how it evolves from there right yeah. and and, uh, and i hope i hope at one day i can like point to it and like point at these you know there's like this perfect glass tube and the double a batteries in there be like look grandkids like those are what we used to use to charge things like that's funny grandpa as they're like phones are being charged by the sidewalks they walk on yeah. or something <laughs> and we're all getting like lots of evf radiation all the time and yeah. <laughs> so many health problems because of it um so it's actually uh, it brings up a good, good question which is you know where do you two see kind of the future of of like everyday consumer products going you know, do, do, do you think that it's this oversimplification and we're going to get smaller and more efficient? Or do you think it's kind of this robust future that, you know, like the teenage engineering dreams of where it's like, we're just going to use the better understanding we have of technology and capacity to just make something that much better and that more usable by all? Um, my hope, and I think your hope is this also, is that... You know, we have things like iPhones right now that, you know, they've changed 
smartphones, they've changed the way we live. Um, that's not, yeah, they've obviously changed the way we live. But we're at a point where we realize that, you know, not everything they afford us actually is how we would like to live. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, there's an opportunity there to sort of draw from this, like, both the ability now to build whatever you want. You know, we have access now to design and build and make stuff with electronics and make stuff with this available technology. But we can make the specific things that we want and we can steer those objects into items that tell uh, that tell a specific story that we want or um, or fill a very specific use case or scenario in our lives. And like the mm -hmm. camera that we're making right now is an example of something like that, where obviously we have an iPhone that can take pictures, great pictures. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't necessarily want to carry around this iPhone and all of the other things that it holds with it. Like maybe I just want a really small object that can take pictures mm. and that's all that it does. And um, and it's small and specific and lightweight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as, as a photographer myself and someone who's, you know, my my best friend's actually, him and I are super into cameras. He's actually on the iPhone engineering, like the camera team for iPhone. Mm. Um, I'll introduce you to him later because I'm sure you might down to help you guys um if you, if you guys are looking for engineering help in camera world but so so i'm actually curious as much as you want to tell me without you know sharing too much of a future product but uh and tell the world obviously but um you know is this is this something that's meant to replace a product that you already like is it meant to make it simpler and easier more accessible from the sounds of it, it sounds like it's gonna be like a super small digital camera mm -hmm. that is meant to just be the replacement of an iPhone, as you just said, Taylor, or like, what, what is it? Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say that replacement. It doesn't replace it. the phone, uh, but it's more like the scenario, you know, we've shown this around to a few people mm. and they're always like, well, I have my iPhone. Why do I need your thing? Mm. And my answer is always, well, like sometimes you don't want your phone. Like there are times where I don't want to leave my house with my phone, but I do want my camera. And so it kind of forces me to take my phone mm. with me. Um, and those scenarios seem to be happening more and more now that I have a prototype. Like I often leave my house with this tiny camera and not the phone. Hmm. And the camera is really dumb. There's no screen on it. It's a rangefinder, so you're not even you know, you're not really framing properly. Um, yeah, so you don't get to see the photos until later. And that is it. also kind of uh you know that was unintended it's just like that's we just it's simpler to not have a screen so we did it that way and it's kind of forced you to it's kind of cliche but it's like forces you to be in the moment it's like you just take a photo and then you move on you know like you capture it you're not there like reviewing the thing that just happened totally. in the moment yeah. just take a photo and then you forget about it and then maybe later that night or maybe a few nights later, you're at home and you load the photos up and it's mm -hmm. amazing. Like you discover, you get to relive the moment, you discover photos that are amazing out of a whole bunch of crappy photos probably that you're like, oh, I didn't frame it properly or it's maybe blurry. Or, But that's, I think, also part of it. It's like you get to like discover images that you mm -hmm. took versus in the moment trying to take this perfect picture every time you take a picture i think it's quite draining and time consuming and feels 
like not the right way to be taking photos after yeah. living with this for a little bit. And so the more and more we use it, the more we're excited to get this out in the world. Cause I think it's one of those things where once you use it, you'll get it and yeah. you'll not want to use your mm -hmm. iPhone camera anymore, which is the case for me. I mean, sign me up first off. Um, I'll <laughs> happily test and, and try it or, or be the cool. first to buy it. Um, because for me, you know, I, I originally learned photography on film. And so like, I always have this love for the fleetingness of what film is, but also, you know, I, I think what you guys are doing is taking that, that beauty and that purpose of like analog photography and combining it with the simplicity, ease of use, portability, sustainability of digital photography. Right. Um, that's the one thing that no film photographer ever wants to talk about is like, look, film is awesome. Um, if you're shooting, you know, brand new Kodak film on a Leica with a proper lens on there, like that's probably the highest quality photo one could take. Mine is actually using like an IMAX cinema camera. Um, cause as you, as you probably both know, like film resolution is insanely good. Um, and, but, but, you know, the amount of chemicals and time and waste process that goes into processing film is disastrous. Yeah. Um, and I do hope that they create better systems and they are working on it to, to kind of ease that process. But I think that there'll be a lot of people interested in, in this, in this product. Um, so yeah. for sure, yeah. do you guys have any names for it yet? Cause you guys have really good naming, like, oh yeah, we don't have a name for it yet. We have a few that we've been tossing around with the kids, but mm. No, it's nothing is stuck yet. Yeah, we'll know it when we when we know it. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the beauty is is so my parents and every vacation we went on because my dad is a big photographer. They would always get me one uh, disposable camera, and like that yeah. was my camera for the trip, right? So like mm. I would be excited to see like my photos I took, and half them are useless, but some of them are good, and I still have right. them. Yeah. Um, but I I think that would be the perfect thing where it's like something that was robust enough, and knowing the products you two make, like it will be that you could give to your kid and say, yeah. go and take this. And there's this anticipation. I mean, what was that app that like uh, David Dobrik and um, the founder of Reddit, um, Alexis Ohanian made called Dispo, where like you, it was an app on your phone where you literally got to take like 10 photos, but you couldn't see what the photo it was taking. And then it would make you wait a day before you could see the photos. It was like trying to replicate like, uh, you know, a disposable camera essentially, um, you know, but but it's, it's still on your phone. It was still an app and it's still kind of artificial. But this yeah. app, you know, it, it was a fad for a while, like uh, towards the latter half of COVID. And they raised some absurd, oh, like wow. nine figure evaluation for this company um, <laughs> overnight. It was also like, you know, Alexis O'Hanion and, and, and these other influencers that were into it. And, you know, everyone who had millions of followers is all doing it. So, but, you know, some people still use it. But the cool thing about it is like it proved the market. Right? right, it proved that there are people out there that want this fleeting nature, that want mm -hmm. this thing. I mean, Snapchat, as dumb and as much as I hate Snapchat, there is a kind of intrinsic beauty to this idea of like you're sending a fleeting picture that you can never see again, but it's it's it's, it's recording that there was an image there, but you don't know what the image was, or you can't think back to that. The only problem is it's become like an addictive type yeah. of problem. You know, I was yeah. I was uh, I, I mentor a lot of college age kids. And I was at an offsite a few weeks ago. And are you familiar with what a snap score is? It's like the total number of, of yeah. pictures that you've received and sent. Um, and these kids have had it since middle school. So a lot of these kids are in college. So they probably had it for 10, eight to 10 years at this point, which is terrifying to even think about. But their <laughs> snap scores are six, 
seven, eight hundred thousand, two million. Like we're talking, you know, months of their lives spent on this That's app. Insane. Um, and it's it's terrifying. And, and what I told them, and, and and this freaks out a lot of college kids or any person. I said, look, if you spend an hour a day on a certain app, that's fifteen days a year, yeah. right? Which is crazy to think about. It's like yeah. spend that hour learning a new language or like yeah. working on a side project. You know, some people are saying like, well, an hour a day won't get me to my dreams. It's like, look, if you had fifteen more days a year to work, like full days to work on something you cared about, that's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I love time. Going back to time and the con- like the beauty of thinking of yeah. smartphones. Yeah, they're gonna get a camera. Smart. Yeah, not, yeah, our kids are not getting any of that stuff for a long, long time. I'm I'm so happy you said that. So it's I, I ask a lot of parents this question and I'll ask them to you is like, so your thoughts on and you already answered it, but like giving them iPads. Cause I, I the amount of times I see a kid while traveling, like mm wanting to play on their kid's phone or an iPad or like having a hissy fit when they're like, I was, I was on a plane the other day going to flying from Seattle, New York. And there was a kid that was playing with their parents' iPhone, probably maybe the kid was two year and a half to like, couldn't form sentences or words, but like was watching YouTube. And the parent had to use the phone temporary to scan their boarding passes. And the kid had a meltdown, like a, like a full blooded, like ear curdling stream of a meltdown because the, the mom had to borrow the phone for 30 seconds yeah. to scan the tickets onto the plane. And that's a problem, right? Yeah. If you're building these addictive tendencies as bad as the most addictive drugs in the world at a young age, like what are you doing to your kid? So like, what is your, is that your take or like, what, what do you guys view your kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, on? yeah, I'm totally in agreement. Like it is so addictive. That it's like you can't even I feel like you can't even blame the parents or the kids. It's like, yeah, oh, I was looking at this thing before. Do you know BJ Fogg's lab mm-hmm. at Stanford? Yeah, like yeah. so many of them have gone on to be the heads of some of these companies producing addictive behavior, you know, like applying his his lab research to mess people up essentially to make money. Yeah. And it's so wrong. And I'm so mm-hmm. pissed off about it. And so, yeah, when I see stuff like that, I don't actually blame the parents or the kids. It's just like we're we're dealing with this substance that was manufactured to do exactly that, you know. And, yeah, I don't know what else to do but to try to, you know, not pass it on to our kids. And, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know what to do about it. But, like, you know, going back to the camera, too, it's like how many times have you, like, taken a photo and then in reviewing the photo some notification comes up so then you're on your phone longer than the time it takes to review the photo because you get distracted by some other shit happening yeah. so it's like can we can we just stop doing that hmm. um yeah and i i don't know i think more and more people yeah, maybe I, are becoming aware of it and want to break that cycle oh did you get unplugged no no, you're good. Sorry, I think I think it was just cutting out because of Wi-Fi. I'll I'll just put on low data mode, um, so it'll it'll switch off live video. Um, okay. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Cool. So as as a follow up question to that, um, my question would be because your kids at the ages of six and nine, right? So born in what like 2017 ish and 2014 ish. Like smartphones and smart devices will be a part of their life, whether they want them to be or not. So like, I guess my question is, is when do you think is the right time and and how to introduce them to them in a way that they can use them as tools and not as addictive devices? Yeah, 
I was actually thinking about this today. Yeah. yeah. Like, how do you introduce it? Our old, you know, they both actually spend time on laptops. <laughs> they CAD. Mm-hmm. Which laptops. I am not. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm actually really against yeah, our little Taylor's one doing that because I don't think he's developmentally ready for it at all. And I think mm. the brightness on his eyeballs is not there. Because okay. he know he's not CADing to just CAD. He's He has an end goal where he's like, I want to make this thing. So I could print it on the 3D printer. And when he's done, he's done. Like he finished, he completes a design project. Hmm. And I think, yeah, you know, but that's separate, I think, from like these apps and these things that actually produce addictive behavior. I think that kind of stuff, yes, inevitably they're going to be exposed to it. And I think it's basically just introducing it in a way where they understand that this is an addictive thing and that they have to figure out ways to not get all their time sucked into it because mm-hmm. your day is limited you only have this many hours and if you spend this amount of time on doing that thing on the phone you're not going to have time to do this other thing and i think you just have to clearly parse that or have mm-hmm. you know yeah just the ability to understand that and i don't mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know what think, age they have that but capacity but i think, I think also just like giving language to it on a continuous basis you know it's not like they don't have They've played video games. They go to friends' houses and they play video games there. And a lot of the time, because our kids don't play at home or don't have access at home when it's on or when it's happening, they're so engrossed in it. And we essentially have to, like, it becomes harder to pull them out of it, obviously. But we give that language and we're like, hey, notice this. Like, notice that you just, like, had a really hard time, like, stopping playing the game. How did you feel while you are playing it? It's really exciting, isn't it? You know, um, the reason why we don't have this at home is because it's so hard for people. It's designed to make it really difficult for you to get away from it. And just kind of talking about it in a way like that, I think is really helpful. Um, And just like keeping that language going until one day they are going to (laughs) inevitably, you know, be 18 and get these things. Or we'll make a camera, we'll make a phone. Well, what was that? Um, is the simple phone? There's just, yeah, there's just I love yeah. that phone. I think it's yeah, like, I that's want cool. one for myself actually. I, I want one too. But the cool thing is, like, I was even thinking about it. Is you know, so you two live in New York City, right? Which brings a whole new set of problems and experiences that most kids don't really have growing up, right? Um, and so I think the most fascinating thing about that phone is they basically modeled it now where i think it can so you can basically call you can call a certain number of people always emergency you can text certain number of people but you can't text photos it's all about like purely communication and then you can also like program it to be able to call like an uber or a lyft if someone's in trouble like a Mm -hmm. like a hey i'm lost send an uber to my location and it'll charge the credit card on file you know um which is a really brilliant idea for like you know, you want your 10 year old, you know, nine year old kid to feel safe and need to be able to contact you if something happens, but like they can't go download Snapchat or a game and destroy their entire life on this device. Right. Um, but like the moving around with my watch these days, I have a Apple watch with cell service and that's plenty for me most days, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'll get your message and maybe I won't message you back until I get home to my phone. But, you know, it has everything, at least that I need when I go out for the day. I can still answer phone calls, 
still make calls even. Yeah, anyways. I, and I like that the screen is so tiny that I don't want to yeah. stare at it. Yeah, I've been a I've been a big power user of an Apple Watch for a long time, mainly because I love that tracking ability. I think we you started off by talking about that. Like I love metrics about myself and more of a performance understanding. Like I know if I don't get, I, I base mine fully off of sleep and deep sleep and HRV like you do. And I know the days where I'm like, okay, based on how I slept, based on how I'm feeling, based on my body's recovering, like I only have this much bandwidth to get done 60% of what I want to get done. And if I decide to go work out, I'm further lowering that bandwidth. So is today a good day to, you know, rest and walk instead of go lift or, you know, like, what do I want to get up today? Because I can't have it all. Right. And I think that, you know, there's a beautiful, I, I, I've been trying to figure out for a long time, what we do impart to kids and adults and people of all ages, the idea that like, you know, time and other things, especially energy is a finite resource and don't waste on things that you don't actually want to, or will lead towards the end goal. And I think I've only learned that from doing that, if that makes sense. So I'm always kind of striving to figure out the best way to enable myself the most amount of time towards the things I want to do and need to do. Right. Um, and to me, a watch is that, right. Yeah. Hmm. I guess you could also give your kids watches if you were trying to figure out a way for them to communicate with others and then you could lock them in parental mode and they could Mm -hmm. still, you know, do a lot with it from a safety perspective. And you'd have a full-time tracker on your child, right? right? (laughs) Which is sometimes useful. Um, yeah. Or just, I, I think, I think some parents are putting air tags in their kids, like as little bracelets, um, which is, which is, you know, to each their own. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, th- I think it's gonna be interesting. And I think you can see this by the way that, you know, Apple is kind of gearing up their, some of their new products, like the air tags, I think was less about finding things and more about building this ecosystem of being able to fully index where things exist in our natural world, right? It's like, you know, the tile existed for what a decade before the air tag came out and it told you where it was, but the air tag allowed you to go, it's not that it's in the kitchen. It's 3.8 feet away from you and two feet down. So it's most likely in that drawer over there. And that's the difference between like landing on the moon, right? And getting to the moon and like collecting a sample from the moon. Right. It's like those are three different things that seem close together, but they're not. Right. And so I think that's the future where we're going, where it's this this brilliance in the technology where it's like sometimes the simplest thing that they've built in is like one of the most complex features. Like my girlfriend misplaces her phone all the time because we're like on a share in a shared family in iCloud. So we can like share access to Apple. It's basically so we can both watch Ted Lasso is basically why we did it. Um, But the beautiful thing is like, her phone, when she loses it, I can use my phone and p- make her phone play a noise, yeah. right? Because she doesn't use an Apple Watch or anything else. So I'm just like, here you go, there's your phone, you know? Um, which is something that like, if you have an Apple Watch, it's already, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think there is a beauty of uh, building into that ecosystem, so. Mm-hmm. But are you two both add in, are, like iOS users or do you play around in the Android world or like, uh i used to switch yeah every few years something happens on the android side that gets me excited so i'll switch over and then always get back back. come back (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting like early on i switched yeah every year ish and then i don't know last time i switched was maybe like three four years ago 
yeah, maybe Pixel Three ish. I tried. Mm. Last one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a lot of friends um, recently kind of switched back to iPhones that tried Android for a while. I tried Android for such a short period of time, but there was just so many reasons why I just couldn't stick in that ecosystem. I think the biggest thing is that as a designer and a person that works in media a lot, I use a Mac pretty heavily and just having the ability to like, airdrop and same notifications and messages and just like everything lives in this ecosystem. And like, if I had an iPad, it's like, Oh, just even more. And I can now have an extra screen. My, you know, it's, I don't know. It just makes it simple. Right. Um, in terms of like products that don't need instructions, I mean, obviously it's a different story because there's like a whole interface created that, that changes on your screen telling you what to do if you get lost. But like, you know, my grandmother is, is a Luddite of Luddites and like she figures out the iPhone pretty well. Um, yeah. She sends me voice messages over text, which is great um, yeah. for anyone. That... That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think the nice. whole iOS world is really well done. Like, yeah, no complaints about iOS. Android, on the other hand, I think the operating system's quite uh, messy, not not as clean mm. in like subtle ways. Subtle sure. ways that are just bother me every day that I use it. So. Yep. Yeah. Same. And hopefully it'll get better over time. But I think from a, I, I've always thought that, you know, Apple hardware is, is superior and there are people, people argue that it's the software that's to the part, but you know, anyone who's used one of the new Apple Silicon Macs will immediately start to understand what I'm saying and just yeah. how, how much better it is than everything yeah. else. Um, that I've been working on that just like I work CAD. I yeah, this is maybe unusual. I CAD on a laptop MacBook Pro with mm-hmm. a trackpad. Like I don't use a mouse mm-hmm. and I love it. I've been like that for, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. And I'm just like, I'm so used to using trackpad for cadding. Yeah. I'm actually the same way. And people have called me crazy for doing that. My dad, who's an architect, especially, but he also grew up on like, you know, using a mouse with, you right. know, well, he didn't, he grew up drawing buildings and then they were like, Hey, there's a thing called a computer and you can now use that design homes. I'm like, you're crazy. You don't always use a computer for that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then ArcaCAD came out and, Revit and all these mm-hmm. fun other programs that were archaic. Yeah. You used to have these massive machines back in the two thousands just to be able to load the software and yeah. start to build basic structures. And yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, so so to kind of get you out of here, both of you on time, um, I have a couple of rapid fire questions mm. that I like to ask every guest. Um, and I would prefer an answer from each of you if I can yeah. get that. Sure. Um, yeah. And you can answer these questions in as few or many words as you want. There are no rules. Um, what is something you believe in that most don't? Oh. Um. oh, I have one. I have one. Uh, your goal in life is not to be happy. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to expand on that? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Where did you learn uh, I that I think it's from? misleading to tell people that you need to find happiness. I think you find uh, you, yeah, it's your path to happiness is not to find happiness. It's to find things that you're, you know, like find satisfactions, like find things that you're good at, work on that thing or find things that you're not good at and get good at that thing 
so that you could be happy about what you're doing. You know, there's like many paths to get there. Sure. But I think it's misleading to tell kids, oh, just like do do whatever makes you happy. It's like not a helpful yeah. thing. Yeah, if you want to see your kids' head spin, just tell them one of my favorite paradoxes, which is the be- the answers to the best questions are questions. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, what about you? I don't know. I don't think I have one. You kind of stumped stumped me. <laughs> well, if you if you think of it, if I think of something. Uh, yeah. Well, well, feel free to blurt it out. Um, okay. Is there a is there a sound a particular sound that you associate with happiness? quiet i like quiet yeah I like nature sounds yeah quiet i guess oh i have a happy sound what's your happy it's sound? the sound mm-hmm. of foam earplugs expanding in your ears <laughs> oh, that you're about to go to sleep. it's such a good i mean i've been doing it for a couple of years now and man that is a such a unique like yeah it's so unique and it just puts my headspace in this like Mm. Hmm. it is such an intricate sound you know um i don't know so, so bringing it back to lego like one of my favorite sounds from a kid was like you know that sound of legos in their bags and like a box it has this very distinctive sound and like i knew because as a kid i wanted to shake the presents under the tree and know which ones are legos and i think that's probably why it, it, it yeah. still gets me excited mm-hmm. this is a very nice sound um taylor anything come to mind for you besides silence Silence is really a great one for me. I love quiet. Yeah. Um, and very but like a sounds. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I think also wind. I I like wind a lot. Hmm. Like the sound of wind walking outside, or like the sound like wind through like an old window, or makes that like whooshing noise that you, I think probably not like talking the about. The sound like... of wind when it's super cold and stormy. Oh. Yeah, but you're. But inside. like, I don't like the feeling of it. But even when I'm outside <laughs> and I hear those sounds, I like it, even though my body doesn't feel good. Hmm. I really like quiet. It's very, um, it's familiar, and there's something comforting about it. Hmm. Interesting. Um, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, what problem would you try and solve? Billion dollars? Yeah. <laughs> Something I've been thinking about a lot recently. This is just the first thing that comes to mind, but obviously climate change is mm. up there on this list. But I, yeah, it's problem. not a billion dollar problem. But the problem that I'm thinking about, uh, maybe there's, I think that, um, we have to figure out a way as a culture to stop buying things that are incredibly inexpensive and um, take advantage of like populations that, um, you know, are not necessarily as well off as we are. And that like that duplicity, uh, I really just, it feels really bad and it doesn't feel sustainable. And it's produced a circumstance in our world where we have way too much stuff and, it exacerbates imbalances of power and um, and imbalances in wealth and also problems with the environment. And, you know, when you really get a sense of how things are made, you start to realize, like, what cost 
should actually like how much time it takes to make those things mm -hmm. and what they should actually cost and why they should be more expensive than they are. And so I would really like to see a shift in that culture. Yeah, the whole fast fashion needs to die in my mind. Like it, it, it yeah. kills me. Yeah, it is terrible. Uh, I don't have a good answer. I don't want a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That's, that's, I would, that's I a good response. Yeah. I also yeah. wouldn't want to, you know, we're trying to do, not to solve that, but, you know, everybody is, I hope, doing their best to address things that are important to them. And yeah. yeah. In our work, I think we try to address that. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. not perfect at it, but. Well, I, I think fast fashion is a great example because it's really hard for someone to argue that someone who cares about fast fashion also cares about quality. They're usually driven by the idea of wanting to be in season or have many options or feel like they're in or buy something new, right? It's rarely ever the, the you never hear the excuse, oh, I want high quality. Oh, I want something that's going to last a while. Oh, I want something that's good for the planet. Those are not arguments made for why you go to Zara or Uniqlo, right? Yeah. Um, so some are better than others, but, but they're all kind of from the same branch of the tree. Right. Um, there, I, I think there's, it's interesting, like, you know, where I met you two for the first time in person in Soho at, at the fight store, which is an example of a brand that makes something that is meant to last a very long time. Right. Um, you know, I have a couple of pairs of their shoes and I have a pair of their like wool hikers that became my winter shoe for like six or seven years now. And I've had them resold twice and they mm. still work and they still like the most comfortable shoe and they look great, you know? And I think that's something great. And they were expensive. They were close to a thousand dollars. But when I think about, you know, would I rather have that or a $160 pair of boots I buy and gets trashed after one winter that don't look good and aren't comfortable. It's a pretty easy yeah. choice. Right. Yeah. Um, and also understanding that. And the, I think this is the big thing that I hope more people are turning on to this idea that like, I know the craftsmen that made this shoe were compensated very well for the work they put in on the shoe. Yeah. Right. And uh, you can't say that about most things these days, um, which is too bad. Um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, what would it say and where would it be sent to? You get to choose where it goes. Where and what it says. Can it just be everybody in the world? Yeah, you can be. There are no rules. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want that either. I don't want to do that either. <laughs> that sounds like we send a newsletter every week, and it's like the most anxiety-inducing thing. <laughs> like this is way worse. Yeah. I, but, I like, yeah. I don't know who this, what region this would be sent to, but I like it. Um, I think, yeah, Zach Lieberman does this uh, whenever he gives talks. Before he gives a talk, he's like, okay, everybody stand up and just introduce you, introduce yourself to the person standing next to you or behind you. And mm -hmm. that's it. You know, and, I, like and I've been to a few of his talks and every time I've done it, it's like I end up having these amazing conversations with total strangers and the world just becomes a little bit smaller because they happen to know somebody that knows somebody, you know, like we're not that far apart from each other. And so if I had this like push notification capability, I would send a message to everybody being like, just say hi to the person, the, the next stranger you meet. 
for sure. And I think hmm. that maybe makes the world a little bit better. Agreed. I like that. We're all humans, right? Like yeah. we're all from the same species at some point yeah. or the other, right? Yeah. Um, and then, so it looks like we have time for one more question, unless uh, Taylor, you came up with uh, something for your first oh. question. <laughs> not, not to dr- not to drill your head on it, but um, do you have any advice? So, assuming that your children have their own children in the future, would you have any kind of parting advice for your grandchildren's generation? Yes. Yeah, so, so when our grandkids show yeah. up, what do we tell them? Yeah. Do you worry about them? No. I worry about mine. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I, mean, I don't even have kids. Like, so. I was not a worrier at all, but... Um... Don't worry about it. I think we're going to be okay. I think that's what I would tell them. It's going to be we're, okay? It's going to be... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel this way about a lot of things, actually. And I, I know the world is becoming a more difficult place, just overall. Habitat-wise? Yeah, Habitat-wise economy there you know there's so many forces that are socialization you have to deal with and it seems like it's getting worse and so obviously we project that it's going to be worse and worse as we get to further generations but i i'm also so hopeful like i think people do amazing things like we have the ability to turn things around i know climate is like a huge huge problem and I know we're close to this, like, no turning point point in time. But still, I still have hope. I still think people are, there are amazing engineers living right now. You know, mm-hmm. we thought Einstein was amazing. There are people now, there, we have multiple Einsteins right now. You know, it's just like, you just don't see it because they're contemporary. And I, and I think there's... Um, I don't know, there's a term for it, but like there's amount of uh, anxiety that, you know, people being anxious and talking about things produces more anxiety. And not to say we shouldn't talk about it, but I just think people also need to just like be like, it's going to be okay. You know, like uh, everybody worrying about climate change is not helpful getting brilliant people and more people working on the problem, great. But if every average Joe who's not working on climate change and is just like worried about it, it's not gonna, it's not good for our species is my thing. You know, so it's like, uh, it's okay. You know, I don't wanna just say like, it's gonna be okay. But I, part of me wants to say that. It's like, it is gonna be okay. Like, how else can we live? Like, you can't, I don't think it's an okay way to live to be worried about things all the time. And if things are going to, if things are going to become more difficult, if the world's going to become a more difficult place. Uh, maybe need more, less people, sorry. Yeah. Less people worrying about things. I don't know. I don't know where that was going. Sorry. <laughs> I, li- I liked it. So I appreciate it. I liked what Sewe the other day showed me a clip of, um, what's his name, Yuval Harari? Mm -hmm. Is that Mm -hmm. the guy who wrote Sapiens? Sapiens, Yeah, Yeah, on Lex Friedman's podcast. And he talked Mm -hmm. about 
boredom and about, um, you know, in order to be able to uh, live with boredom and appreciate, in order to be able to appreciate peace and quiet, you have to be able to live with and appreciate boredom and accept Mm. boredom and be able to welcome it. And, you know, if there's one thing that I want my kids to be able to do, you know, I want my kids to be nice people, but aside from Mm -hmm. that, I want them to be able to, you know, find that peace within their minds and within themselves to be able to, you know, in in order to be able to think properly and think with clarity and solve problems mm-hmm. and really just address or build a framework for however you want to live within the world, I think you do need to be able to achieve some degree of mental clarity and sort mm-hmm. of separate from the constant stimulus of the world and appreciate quiet. So Love that. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to mention or plug or share before we stop recording? Ooh. Plug. I like how humble, that. you know, I know I, I'll do it for you. Um, so I will, I will link um, all their products below some of my favorites, everything else you should look at, including their newsletter. Um, so I know you, I, you guys aren't the, the sell, sell, sell kind of people, which I appreciate <laughs> and love, but I think that I, I'm of the belief that I think your products would help more people than you think they might. And I think that sometimes that little friendly push might be a, a good thing to help them like, Oh, this is actually great. You know? Um, thank you. Cause right. Cause what you try to try to do at the end of the day is save people time. Yeah. So cool. Well, um, again, thank you so much both for, uh, coming on and spending the time and chatting and, uh, I look forward to catching up with you both soon. We'll chat offline briefly. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you Rob. so much. Yeah. Great conversation. Great questions. Yes. Thank really you so much. It. Of course. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this episode between myself and CWT. You can find them online by simply Googling CWT and you get links to their store and their site and their portfolio as well as their socials. And as always, you can find me online at Rob is Lost or robockingclos.com. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.